Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Monday, December 21st. A new strain of COVID-19 is being blamed on the increasing number of cases in that country. With an update on new related restrictions, we check in with UK businessman and broadcaster Kenny James. Does a COVID vaccine need to be universally available for Canadians to travel freely once again? We'll talk to an infectious disease specialist to talk about what Canadians need to see from other countries before we can safely leave our bubbles. How do you keep the peace between siblings stuck in the house over the holidays parenting expert julie friedman smith offers up some advice that just might help us all year-end tax preparations could look very different for canadians this year we'll talk to an accountant about what you need to think about before your income tax is due in april and our on-call family physician dr ted jablonski joins us to talk about the very real needle phobia and offer up some tips and tricks to overcome it 36,000 new cases of COVID-19 reported in the UK yesterday alone with a brutal new strain of the virus being blamed on the increasing numbers. With an update on this, the vaccine rollout, the situation across the pond, we're joined again this morning by Kenny James, a UK broadcaster and business owner who has joined us before. Good morning, Kenny. Thanks for being here again. Morning, Sue. Good to be with you. Uh, So what's the situation there? I mean, we spoke to you last month. You were going into a strict lockdown. It was supposed to open up a little bit for Christmas, but now we hear tougher lockdowns and tougher restrictions in place again as of this weekend, right? That was the idea. The idea was that um, we were going to have a five-day window where families could get together from three different households. We have the, the phrase bubble over here, and each household can be a bubble. Uh, and Boris, the Prime Minister, had agreed that we were going to have three different bubbles we'll be able to get together for a five-day period over Christmas to celebrate. Uh, but now, um, since the, the advent of this, this new strain of COVID, which only really broke two days ago in the UK, and that's all changed, so we're back down to uh, two households only, uh, just for one day over Christmas here. Uh, and the news that's broken overnight is that a lot of the borders now are now being closed. So uh, between the UK and France, nobody can travel now. Uh, a lot of airlines are cancelling flights. A lot of countries in Europe are now saying to the UK for, for the next 28, 24, 48 hours until our scientists get a proper fix on what this new virus is about. Um, we're going to stop people from the UK traveling to our country. Mm-hmm. In fact, here in Canada, 72 hours, we've now stopped all UK travelers coming into this country. Your UK Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, is calling this mutation out of control. So does there seem to be obviously a whole lot of worry about something that we just don't really know a lot about at this point? They're saying it's 75% more contagious than the original COVID uh, outbreak. And uh, in a very short space of time, there's been a massive growth in in the number of cases, as you highlighted yourself before. Um, uh, Over half of the UK now is is closed into what we call a Tier 4 scenario. And Tier 4 is whereby um, you stay at home unless you're going for essential work, essential travel. Um, And there's no socialising. All outlets are closed apart from uh, essential shops and stores. It's, It's really clamped down very heavily in the past. 48 hours. So everything closed but essential. And yes, as we heard, in total, 20 countries have or are in the process of taking action uh, in terms of blocking all travel from and to the UK. So with your lockdown, did you say you're, you are still allowed one day of Christmas gathering then? The, uh, yes. Well, the thing, in tier four areas, we're in, in the UK, we have, we have tiers uh, one, two, three, and tier four came into play, play last week. Uh, tier one is, is very relaxed, where it's a, it's a low risk of, of any any infection. Tier two, you can go and you can go out and, and, and dine and, and go to restaurants uh, and, and, and bars. Uh, tier three, you're, where if you're in a tier three area, restaurants can only do takeaway service 
You can't go out and dine out. Uh, and tier four is a lockdown. So it's uh, it's pretty strict, as we're seeing certainly in most parts of Canada as well right now. What about the vaccine? How did that roll out in the UK, Kenny? We started a couple of weeks ago, and there was a, bit, a lot of uh, pomp and ceremony for the first vaccines being introduced. Uh, obviously, been very quick to get it cleared through through the uh, the authorities here for the health uh, situation, uh, and and rolling out. They're hoping to be doing a hundred thousand or more a day uh, around now, and and will continue to do so. The difficulty being, of course, in those tier four areas where it should be getting rolled out quickly. And I was saying to people, <clears throat> you can't leave home to travel. So for some of the people who, who should be getting vaccinated in those areas are going to have a problem getting to where they need to be to go to to get the vaccination. So this new strain really obviously causing a whole lot of difficulties for folks wanting to travel, but also just for people staying put and trying to get the vaccine, you know, if they were entitled to it before, it's going to make things much more difficult now. Yeah, for them to get out to, to, to the, a lot of places are, are many miles away and a lot of the elderly people specifically who are, who are prioritised over here, the, the elderly and, and, and key health workers are the first people to be given it. Elderly people, many don't drive, so for, for them getting to from A to B to be able to get the, the, uh, uh, the, the injection in the first place. And of course their relatives would normally go and pick them up and their relatives are being told that they can't go and see their elderly aunties or mothers or fathers. So that's causing problems. We're, is it the Pfizer vaccine that you guys ended up with first as well? Yes, yeah, so, the Pfizer take one. So that's uh, the one here. that you have uh, to yeah, you have to go to it, correct? As we are here in Canada. Yeah, yeah. and, and there are two two doses. You have one now, one in seven weeks' time. Um, so no one knows what's going to happen. And one of the things that's just cropped up in in the past couple of hours in the UK is some of the major supermarket chains over here are now saying that that if, if this blockage from getting in and out of Europe lasts for more than a few days, we may have start to see some food food shortages on the shelves for Christmas. But that's really waking people. Yeah, that's a bit scary, isn't it? I mean, we did read that you know cargo flights will continue, but if you know if traffic is being delayed or and trucks and et cetera through the country, that makes things very difficult. And I understand too that police are being deployed at rail stations to stop people leaving London, for example. That was what was being spoken about a couple of days ago. I haven't actually seen any evidence of it yet, but okay. it was certainly intimated that the police would be at railway stations. Uh, there was there was a, a talk that they may even have roadblocks on certain roads, although the police have, have been quite quick to deny that. But they're trying, they're certainly trying to, to discourage people through the press from travelling too far. What is it like, Kenny, for you as a business owner? Remind us again what, what, you, what you do outside of, of your broadcasting job and, and what that's been like for you as a whole through this. Well, we're in hospitality, so we have uh, small hotels, bars, restaurants, that, that kind of thing. So <clears throat> we're, we're actually in, in a, uh, a Tier 2 area, so re- relaxed really in many ways. We're up in Cumbria or Lake District in the UK, so a big tourist area. So we have things whereby the restaurants and the bars can still open, uh, seated only. You can't stand anywhere, uh, mask every time when you're not seated. Uh, you can't just come and have a drink. You must eat, so if you don't have any alcohol, you must have, quote-unquote, a substantial meal. And there's been a lot of talk over here as to what a substantial meal is. Mm. Is it a sandwich or is it you know, something more than that? Um, so trade people are, are wary about coming out, many people, because they, they thought we're getting, we're getting towards the end of, of this now when we have the injections they're starting to take place. But, of course, this new strain has really kicked everybody. What does your Christmas Day look like, Kenny? Um, well, we're open. We're training Christmas Day. We have people in for Christmas lunch, and we're, we're lucky that we're a tier two area where people you know, can still do so. So we'll be quieter than we would normally be, uh, but we'll, we'll have a good celebration. Well, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for joining us with updates uh, throughout this crazy pandemic time, and uh, we appreciate you and hope to talk to you in 2021 as well.
Thanks, Sue. Have a great time. Stay safe, Kenny. Thank you very much. Question is, does a COVID-19 vaccine need to be universally available for Canadians to be able to travel again? Do we need to wait until every single country has had it? And how many people need to be vaccinated before we're able to get on planes and go wherever we want? To discuss, we are joined this morning by Suman Chakrabarti, who is an infectious disease specialist from the University of Toronto, with more on why a wider rollout of the vaccine is needed. Good morning, Suman. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's talk about this. I mean, we know here in Canada, we've got the vaccine. We've already started to see the vaccinations happening, but that's just in our country. There are many still waiting for that vaccine. So we can't really do much traveling until they get it. Is is that sort of the, the, the thought here? Not necessarily. I mean, it, it's important that everybody gets uh, covered, as many people as you can to, uh, to build up uh, the so-called herd immunity. We still don't exactly know, though, you know, for example, um, are you still able to spread the virus even if you've had the vaccine? That's a question that will be answered within the next couple of months. But in terms of travel, I mean, at some point we're going to have to open up the borders. And I think that um, you don't necessarily have to have complete blanket coverage of the entire world to do that. But I think what we are going to start to see is things that we can do to mitigate risk. Uh, And first of all, absolutely having vaccine will be part of that, but also seeing the case numbers going down across the country, you know, stress coming off the healthcare systems. Uh, it's going to be a multifactorial type of assessment, but, you know, I'm expecting something like that to happen, you know, later on in 2021. So, doctor, as an infectious disease specialist, how long does it take for us to figure out if we're able to carry and spread the disease, even though we may have gotten the vaccine and don't get sick ourselves? It's going to take a while. That doesn't mean that things aren't going to change for the better as we start to get more and more people vaccinated. But it's going to be over the course of, I would say, the entire year, 2021, looking at to see what's happening around the world and, of course, right here at home in Canada. I do expect things uh, first uh, to have stress coming off the healthcare system as less people are being admitted, more uh, cases dropping in the community. It's going to be a gradual process, but one that I do think that we'll be able to monitor. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. This is a new disease. We're learning more more and more about it and that's not going to be any different with the vaccine itself and that newer version of it now we're hearing is spreading quickly across the uk and obviously that's prompted as of this morning a 72-hour travel restriction for anyone coming from the uk not allowed into our country do you think we're going to continue to see things like that happen yeah, and the thing is, this, this variant that's been identified, one of the big things is that we do see mutations happening in viruses all the time. This is nothing new. Uh, and I think that it's good that people are taking a bit of a cautious approach until we know more. But the important thing is that this is not uh, necessarily something that's all of a sudden way worse. Uh, this virus variant probably uh, exists in other parts of the world. It's just that Britain has a very, very good ability to be able to detect these things. So, we'll know, again, we'll know more about this. I don't expect it's going to make any huge difference with the efficacy of the vaccine. But at some point in the future, once we're out of the pandemic, we might see a seasonal version of uh, coronavirus, just like we do with influenza. The vaccine might need to be altered, but overall, we'll still be out of this nightmare. So even with this new strain that we're seeing in the UK, the vaccine that's currently becoming available, it should cover that still? 
absolutely. I shouldn't say absolutely. I should say most likely. In speaking to my immunologist and virologist colleagues, the actual target of the vaccine, even though it's slightly changed in this variant of the, the virus, it's not changed enough that would, it would appreciably reduce the risk uh, or to reduce the efficacy, I'm sorry, of the vaccine itself. So it looks like it's still going to be effective. And certainly the question that everybody wants to know, is it going to affect us coming out of the pandemic? And I think the answer is no. We're still going to see a worldwide decrease in case numbers and, you know, something to be reduced more to something that is seasonal like influenza. I've heard a saying, no one is safe until everyone is safe. Do you feel that way as well? Yeah, maybe not everybody. As we know in public health, you don't need to be perfect. You just need to be good enough to mitigate risk. So, of course, the more people who get vaccinated, the better. It doesn't need to be 100%, and it never will be 100%. But once you certainly pass a, a threshold, it will be important. So, you know, you hear numbers anywhere from 60 70%, and I think that is what we're going to see. But remember, even as that number is below the 60%, you're still going to see incremental improvements. Uh, we'll talk in a second about, uh, you know, some of the poorer countries and some of the the difficulties in getting vaccines to everyone there. What about, though, in in countries like the United States, where the case numbers continue to skyrocket, it's going to be some time then before we're able to open up the U.S. border, would you think? Yeah, that, that's like going to be a big issue. And we, at some point, we have to open up the border. They're our biggest trading partner, traveling partner, all sorts of things. But yeah, right now there, things have accelerated to the point they're having half of our entire country's caseload in a couple of days. So that, that, that just shows you how, um, how uh, big it is there. So the vaccine, of course, is going to help. But yeah, it's going to take a lot of time to right that ship, so to speak. How does it work trying to get the vaccine to some of the poorer countries around the world where there are billions of people, no access? How long is it going to take? And and do other nations need to chip in to help pay for things like that for them? Yeah, and, you know, again, I think that it's important. You see Canada, um, of course, we're helping ourselves. We need to help our people, but you're seeing some funding and some doses of vaccines being put aside for uh, developing countries. I think that is important. But you raise a very good point. If you've ever been to a developing country, it's not the same where everybody has a fixed address or something that's easy for, you know, a mailman to go to. Or uh, It's going to be a very, very big undertaking. Now, mass vaccination programs have happened in developing places all the time, so it certainly is possible, but it is complicated and keeping track of it is going to be a gargantuan task but overall i do think it's it's certainly able to roll out they're going to need it just as much as we need it here in in uh, north america you know as we get closer doctor to christmas i've already seen people on planes flying for for example to mexico people at the resort is that a, a concern for you Oh, yeah. I, I am very much concerned. Uh, I expect to see a significant uh, bump in cases uh, following Christmas. I already know informally lots of people were planning on traveling and getting together with their family. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, in, in our uh, hospitals here in the, the Toronto area where I am, we have seen already people that are coming back from places like the Caribbean, South Asia with, with, with COVID. So it certainly is a, is a hazardous thing at this point, And I still very much discourage non-essential travel. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate it. Have a wonderful holiday. You too. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you. That is Dr. Suman Chakrabarti, who is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Toronto. Well, the kids are officially off school now until January for the holiday, and families are spending a lot of time together. So for parents, 
could be a bit of a challenge. Maybe keeping the peace between the siblings is a little difficult at your house. So with some advice on how to keep things civil between the kids, we're joined this morning by parenting expert Julie Friedman-Smith. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, Sue. Well, thanks so much for joining us. This is perfect timing. Comes on the heels of a big blowout between my two kids yesterday. (laughs) And uh, this is just, we're days into it. So, uh, you know, is there sort of a something we can do as we move forward no matter what the age of the kids is to try and keep them keep them happy and getting along well i don't know that we can keep them happy but we can <laughs> sure teach them some ways to get along Fair. and deal with it when they're not because that's really the the big thing we can't make them like each other but we can teach them how to deal with each other when they're not enjoying each other and so unless you've got kids who are who are under the age of 3 it's not only our job, like it's our job as parents, but we can also pull them in with some of this responsibility. And one of the first things we can do is just decide what we can live with. So as parents, I think we're so exhausted from what's been going on for the last, for the number of months. And yet there's this level of shame around like when our kids are on their screens or things that we're maybe letting them do that normally we wouldn't have let them do, but now we are. Mm-hmm. And so part of it is just, just, Get clear about what you're okay with, because if you're not going to change anything, and I wouldn't recommend changing a bunch of stuff now right before Christmas because everybody's ramping up, just stop beating yourself up for it, because if you're less stressed about it, everybody's going to feel more comfortable, right? Yeah. But then we need to create some structure. If you've had kids who have been in school, even if they've been homeschooling, or especially if they've been out at school and now they're home, they're used to having structure. They're used to knowing when meals are, when recess is, when they're allowed to, to do stuff. And so building some kind of structure, not a huge, not like a minute-by-minute minute plan, but just getting some sense of when are meals going to be, when is bedtime, when are we getting outside, when are we all together, and when are we alone? Those are some key things things to build into your day because if we build a little bit of alone time for everybody in the family then they're going to want to be together when they come back from that alone time that's a great i like the alone time idea whether they like it or not they'll learn to like it and and learn to really kind of find a way to entertain themselves too won't they Yes, and it's clearer if it's said ahead of time, right? So if everybody knows that after lunch, everybody's going to go to their own space, and it could be screen-free if, you're, if that's something that you've got set up in your family, you know, everybody's coloring or reading or just doing what they want to do in their own space, and then a half an hour or 45 minutes or however long your family can handle that, then everybody comes together and then we head outside for a play together or then we bake something together or whatever. It's a great way to kind of give everybody some downtime and make them want to be together. Mm -hmm. Because kids are not meant to be together 24-7. None of us are. And so it's important for us to build that alone time into our family time. I think that's a great point. And letting them know ahead of time. You're right. Sometimes my son hates it when we spring anything on him. So to give them time to prepare for it. I want to talk to you about that. You mentioned screen time a couple of times. For our kids right now, they don't get to hang out with their friends. And sometimes this is the way for them to get that, isn't it? For sure. And so there's a there's a really big difference between um, consuming on screens and creating on screens. So when we're hanging out with buddies, when we're, when we're talking to our friends, when we're, when we're in a group uh, or in any way, even texting back and forth with them, that's different than just sitting and watching video after video after video. Not that there's not room for that in our world, especially right now. That seems to be a good way to escape sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I was reading yesterday that actually our brains get tired of that too because our brains find it really stimulating. So sometimes just doing nothing is a really, really great way to rest our brains and move on from that bored 
feeling. But absolutely, we're all using screens to connect with family and friends right now, and that's okay. And that's one of those things that we can get okay with instead of having that guilty shame feeling inside of ourselves. Listen, we got enough guilt going on in our exactly. lives. We don't need extra, yeah. right? Okay, so structure, alone time, and I think it's all important that we just you talk it out and, and you're right, you can't make them like each other sometimes. Right, but when they're exploding at each other, when you walk in and there's a fight, do your best to use just describing language, not blaming language. So I see two kids who can't get along, or I see two kids who are struggling. We need to separate. Or how do we make this better? As opposed to, stop picking on your sister. You're Mm. always mean to your brother. There's two different things. So just do a play-by-play, and then separate them as opposed to making one person the bad guy because it's usually only one person that's blamed for most stuff love that great advice thank you so much merry christmas happy holidays to you same to you thank you so much that's parenting expert julie friedman smith taking a little peek at your personal balance sheet before the end of the year definitely something you should look at and think about but what do taxes look like this year as we come through this pandemic frank fazari is a chartered professional accountant at fazari and partners and joins us now with more on how the federal emergency benefits could impact us in 2021 good morning frank Good morning, Sue. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's talk a little bit about that. You know, your returns in 2021 definitely could look different. What what do we need to know as we start to even think about doing our income tax? Uh, what we need to know is that a lot of the benefits that are received are taxable. So, for instance, the CERB, the $2,000 a month that some people were receiving, um, there was no withholding taxes. So I think, I think in April, some people are going to be surprised that when they start to uh, add up all their income, uh, including all the benefits, that they're going to, they may owe some taxes. So be prepared for that. Um, and, and the sooner you gather that information, the better. And I think an important part of that is remember you're going to get slips uh, from the government related to the, those benefits. So make sure you have those slips when you prepare your tax return. And maybe, I mean, it's not too late to try and sock a little bit away so that you've got some there to, to pay in April, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Especially after, as you spend money during the uh, uh, this lockdown period and holiday season, remember that most people will have a tax liability yet to pay it in April 21 related to 2020. How will taxes look for people who are self-employed? Will that be different? So self-employed individuals, the same thing. So if they're receiving any benefits, if they receive the, the, the loan, the $40,000 loan, and part of it is forgiven, um, their, their tax returns will look exactly the same, other than they might have some relief. So um, no different than in the past. To make sure that they have all their expenses, uh, all their revenues uh, tallied up correctly. So when they're, they're ready to file their tax return, uh, it's not an arduous task and, and uh, they have accurate information. Frank, is there anything that um, you know someone could do, say, who doesn't really pay too much attention to any of that except just to collect their, their receipts, be ready to go, and they hand it all over to either an accountant or someone who does their taxes for them? Is there something that they should be thinking about too? I, I think one of the things that they should, should think about is, you know, the government came out with a $400 flat rate reduction for working from home. Um, so that's a deduction that, that people are going to get. Um, so that may or may not cover all their expenses for home office. So if a lot of people that are working from home, what they might want to do is tally up all their home office expenses. So in other words, uh, the expenses of the home, 
um, and you prorate those offices, those expenses based on the square footage of your home office, compare all those expenses, that, that ratio of expenses to that $400. And if those expenses are greater than the 400, they may want to elect to get their employer to sign a form called T2200, allowing them to deduct more than the $400 that the government is, is allowing them to deduct. So again, gather all the home office expenses, do a calculation of the expenses of the home relative to the, the, the office use, and, and see if it's greater than the 400. Is there a place you can go online, Frank, and kind of plug all that stuff in so you have a bit of an idea? So CRA's website is excellent for that. Um, all the accounting firms, including our own, have excellent information on, on, uh, on, uh, on that uh, uh, flat rate benefit and the T2200, the use of the home office deduction. There's so many resources out there that you can, you can easily access for free. CRA.ca, would that be their website? Just trying to find it, find it quickly. Uh, yeah, go- government of Ontario, uh, Government of Canada, um, CRA, and, and you can look up T2200, Form T2200, or uh, the flat $400 um, deduction. Okay, perfect. Or you can always get in touch with Frank and his partners, FazariPartners.com. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Have a great day and happy holiday to everybody. Happy holidays to you too. Thank you. That is Frank Fazari, Chartered Professional Accountant at Fazari and Partners. 719 now, and we've had some very good news in the battle against the coronavirus over the past couple of weeks with the vaccine rollout now underway in Canada. But for some people, even the thought of a needle is enough to just bring on terror. Uh, Beyond the unpleasantness of getting the jab, some claim to have a real phobia when it comes to needles. So we thought we'd check in with our on-call family physician, Dr. Ted Jablonski, about needle phobia. Dr. J, good morning to you. Good morning. Is needle phobia truly a thing? It is absolutely a thing and way more than we'd ever dream. And there's some good reason for it. I mean, evolutionary-wise, we shouldn't want to be poked with sharp things. <laughs> that could, you know, so we do have an, an innate feel, uh, sorry, fear of this. But the stats are 60%, up to 60% of school-age kids have some fear of needles. And if you go into adulthood, it's probably 10% of which... Three to five percent of our population are absolutely terrified to the point that they will not take a needle uh, at all costs almost. And does so it's it, real. Does, <laughs> does something need to have happened to them or is it just the anticipation of the whole thing? Uh, the anticipation is the hugest part of this, but usually there is a bad episode somewhere along the line. Uh, and this could be even at the dental office or something happened somewhere where there was a bad experience and that now gets imprinted as this is a really, really bad thing. If you have anxiety, you know, that sort of thing to begin with, panic attacks, et cetera, does it make it more, you know, susceptible then? In some ways, yes. Um, So I think if we're sort of jumping in, how do we manage this? The best thing is not to avoid it. So with any kind of anxiety, if you avoid the thing that triggers your anxiety, the problem gets worse and worse and worse. The mountain gets bigger and higher and more difficult. So usually with anxiety of any sort, we say just confront it in small amounts, but don't avoid it. The avoidance is your problem. So with the needles, you have to acknowledge it will hurt a bit. You can't say, oh, it, you'll feel nothing. No, you will actually feel something and it will hurt a bit, yeah. but it's just very small and it won't last long. Uh, you have to confront and get it. Um, acknowledging it to the person giving the needle can make all the world a difference. So that we have a multitude of techniques that we use with kids, with adults to distract them. 
there's a, you can use anesthetic creams uh, before the needle. Uh, this is a place where if a kid comes in with a, and gets to watch a telephone, like the uh, cell phone or an iPad or something, that's perfectly fine. Beautiful distractor. And we have, again, a variety of physical techniques. You know, I can pinch the opposite arm or talking, or I can say, I'm going to give you a shot on the count of three and give it on the count of one. <laughs> There's all kinds of tricks we have to, to give it before somebody even knows they're getting their shot. And typically it's, oh, you mean that's all there was? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, they're expecting something much, much worse typically. Yeah. The buildup, right, is the scary part of the it. The buildup so, is everything. So some and things they that- also... Sorry, with kids, uh, don't don't tell them two weeks in advance. Tell them the day up. You're getting a shot today as they're going there. Yeah, I realized that my uh, son had to get, he's in grade six, he had to get a couple of needles to update his, his typical vaccinations. And they told them a good, probably a week and a half out. And yeah. he was in full-blown panic by the time, you know, the day exactly. before even arrived. So, so there are things we can do at home before we get to you where the tricks come in, right? Yeah, so I mean, if kids, you can do play therapy. I mean, some kids really liked where, you know, they're giving the needles to their, you know, pet uh, toys or, you know, p- plush toys or whatever, um, play, just playing around with things and just, uh, you know, pretending to give needles to themselves or to, to you, you're giving one to them, just in play there. And sometimes just the, the acknowledgement that this is how it is, um, you know, just normalizes it. It's just all about normalization mm-hmm. for the most part. That you can do beforehand. But again, also, again, acknowledging that it, they will feel something. You know, I see a lot of parents say, oh, you're not going to feel anything. That's absolutely not true. So then the the parent becomes a liar. and Then the kid doesn't trust the parent because every time they said that they have felt something. So you have to acknowledge that there will be something, but it's very small and you can get over it and you will get over it. (laughs) Needle phobia. It's a thing. Thank you so much, Dr. J. Appreciate it. You betcha. Merry Christmas. Have a wonderful holiday. Oh, same to you. That is Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician.